Now, what am I good at? I can shred on the drums, and I'm a marketing whiz. Okay, Venom, reel it in. Reel it in this time, all right? Reel it in. Reel it in, slow and steady. He does reel it in this time, he'll be a leg away from the world title. I'm Parker Dietz. I'm Tom Logan. And you're listening to Reel It In, the podcast for marketers who like other stuff too. On this episode of Reel It In, we are joined by Mr. John Knott. John's here to talk about email marketing, SMS marketing, loyalty programs, personalization, pirates, and a bunch of other good stuff. So climb aboard, swab the decks, ease the sheet, and join us for another swashbuckling adventure on Reel It In. All right, welcome back to Reel It In. I'm here, as always, joined by Tom Logan. And today we have a very special guest, Mr. John Knott from Omnisend. John, how are we doing today? Doing just fine. Happy Thursday. Happy Thursday. Throwback Thursday. Um, where, are you, uh, where are you calling in from today? I'm calling in from sunny Chicago, Illinois. Lovely. I love Chicago. I'm a Midwestern man, so I appreciate that city a lot. Oh, nice. John, can I just can I just say that your background looks like one of those like uh, special curated William Sonoma backgrounds? I'm I'm very flattered on, on a shoestring budget. I guess I I made it work. So I, I mean that. the fig plant that chair looks incredibly comfortable. You got it going on, man. You, you can't tell viewers, listeners at home, but I'm I'm blushing. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the first thing I want to address is I really like your name, John Knott. It reminds me of kind of like a, like an old timey British, like Naval Admiral, maybe like uh-huh. per- pursuing uh, like Jack Sparrow. Um, but yeah, are you a, are you like a full name guy? Does everyone just call you John Knott or is it more of a John thing? You, you nailed it. I'm definitely a full name guy. It's one of those things like since middle school, full name guy. It's pretty, pretty impressive, actually. Like people like shout at me from across the street. It's never just John. Like I wouldn't even turn around. I think, I think I, I only respond to John not at this point. So you kind of make it one syllable if you if you try hard enough. <laughs> John not. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. What about you, Tom? Are you a Tom? Just, are you Logan? Are you Tom Logan? Uh yeah, I've, a little bit of a mix. I've definitely never been a Tommy, that's for sure. I was independently cast as the dad in every school play from first through sixth grade. <laughs> so I uh, had a more mature vibe to me. But uh, yeah, I'm embarrassed to, to admit that I was actually counting the letters in John's name to see if they were the same amount of letters as mine. And I can confirm after counting six times that it is the same, the same amount of letters. Same so. amount of letters, different amount of consonants. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. The consonants will get you. You got to be careful. Big time. I'm a, definitely a one name cat. It's either Parker or some people call me Dietz, but that means they you know, probably didn't really know me for a long time. Uh, a lot of nicknames, Park, Pork, Porker, Parky. Um, but yeah, I wish I had a, a cool full name like John Knott so I could captain my vessel and, and go after pirates. But um, I don't know why I think that. subjects here today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, moving past names and why I like them. The reason we wanted to have you on today is, is to talk about email because you know, that's definitely OmniSend's specialty, specifically using email as a means to increase customer loyalty. 
Um, so we're going to get into all that. But before we start, would you mind giving the listeners who may not know just a little bit of background on OmniSend and, and what you're doing over there? Yeah, absolutely. So OmniSend is at its core uh, an, an e-commerce focused omni-channel marketing automation platform. It's kind of a mouthful, but those are all really important distinctions there. So we more or less give folks the opportunity to leverage certain opt-in channels, email, SMS, browser push notifications, namely, to be able to communicate with their customers via the, the right channel at the right time, more or less. And in my role, I'm a, you know, a senior partner manager. I more or less work with our key agency partners and our key technology partners and act as a conduit to our customers to for them to leverage whatever technology is going to spur their growth. And then similarly to, to help grow our partner's business as well. Yeah. And I've, I've gotten to work with you a little bit um, via, via that role. And it's, it's been a great experience. Speaking of email today, I, I said the wrong company name in an email to you. Um, <laughs> so, but uh, I promise, I promise we're, uh, we're better friends than that, but it's, this is our first time meeting face to face. So I'm, I'm excited. No, absolutely. And I think what, what you mentioned is actually a really interesting uh, point because I mean, you you alone are not able to personalize every single message, right? You alone are not able to segment constantly, right? And so it's it's you have to rely on certain automation and certain tech to help you out because one man cannot you know engage with thousands of people successfully on a daily basis, right? Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure we'll get into it, but personalization is a really really great thing. Personalization gone wrong can be a really bad thing <laughs> unless um you know you, you you're able to spin it into a nice joke i think hbo max did that when their intern sent out uh, a bad a mistaken email <laughs> so yeah tom i'm gonna put you on the spot here but would you mind setting yeah. the stage from our perspective why loyalty why email and why we're so eager to have this conversation with john today yeah big time so uh what the overwhelming majority of our clients, brands in any sort of direct-to-consumer space are experiencing right now are uh, spiking customer acquisition costs, most notably um, rising ad costs on Facebook and Instagram. That is out of control. We are sort of on the precipice of the, uh, the disappearance of third-party cookies. It's been a variety of attribution challenges that have been brought, uh, brought about by iOS 14 changes. So loyalty, specifically pertaining to email and SMS, is a very, very hot topic right now. So how do we not only uh, win new customers, but how do we make sure as a business that we are able to secure repeat purchases, cross-sell, upsell, encourage them to give gifts, whatever it might be? How do we increase the lifetime value of a customer? So that's why we wanted to have you on is basically get your perspective um, with sort of a marketing team's, um, with the D2C marketing team's perspective in mind, what are you seeing? Yeah, no, I think that it's a really good point. I love that you teed it up by talking about the new privacy constraints with 14.5 and with iOS 15. You know, these are kind of, you know, changing a lot of what, you know, brands have relied on in order to, to target and to retarget and to personalize the experience for customers. And so that's why loyalty has been underscored as, as a really um, a really productive thing for you to have as part of your tech stack because um, you're able to really fire up that, that retention engine. But I wanted to start with something that I heard yesterday. We uh, co-sponsored co an event called Clear Pitch with our partners at Clearco and Affirm. 
Um, and Michelle Romanow, who is essentially one of the co-founders of ClearCo and also uh, a dragon on Dragon's Den, which is Canada's Shark Tank. She said, uh, the number one metric you must pay attention to as a founder is retention. It encompasses everything you do. And I think it's, it, it's pretty true, right? It's not challenging to convince someone to do something once, but when they continue to come back time and time again, like that's where the real like magic is, right? So that's what we're trying to do is get folks to come back to you time and time again. Um, and just on the, the iOS, you know, 14.5 point, um, whenever this rolled out, you know, we, we got kind of excited over here and, and, and opt in email and SMS land because it's, it would it more or less makes it more difficult for, uh, for, for folks to, to retarget on platforms like, like Facebook. Right. And then not, but a month later, iOS 15 comes out and it's like, well, now email opens are only half as effective. And so we kind of got the, the other the other blow, I suppose, but, um, you know, loyalty is more important, you know, now more than ever, especially with this iOS update. Um, I think that we're looking at, at how we can leverage more from these opt-in channels like email and like SMS, because that's when you're really able to own the conversation, right? That's where you're in control. You're not hoping that someone sees an ad. You're not hoping that someone sees, you know, an, an, an out of office, um, advertisement, but you're you're owning the conversation with them, and they've opted in to receive messaging from you. So that's where um, a lot of magic can happen. And and you know, email as a channel has you know a forty x ROI, right? For every dollar you spend on email, you can get at least forty dollars back, right? Some ROIs are astronomically higher than that. Um, and so email is certainly not not dead. I think it's just there's more segmentation, more personalization, more automation that's kind of layered on top of email as as the vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can I ask you both a personal question? Yeah. Um, when you are on a new app after the update, are you allowing to track? Or are you asking not to track? That's a good question. I'm allowing to track on like 99% of them because I, I like to be talked to as if someone knows me. Like, I don't want to see an ad for like women's shoes or for something I'm not going to purchase like that. That has no value to me, but I actually enjoy being presented things that are relevant to me. So I actually let them let them follow me. <laughs> so I think that's actually like a really, inf you, you know, a lot more about the, uh, the actual like happenings behind the scenes and what uh, allowing an app to track you translates to as far as a user experience standpoint. Mm -hmm. I actually think the way that that's phrased is a little bit unfair. Like it, it kind of has like a negative type of connotation, yeah. right? Like track almost seems like you're allowing like a company to figure out exactly where you are on your walk through central park versus like allow app to personalize gather data that'll that'll lead to an experience that's uniquely for you based on your interests i don't know i think it's positioning is like a little bit negative yeah i agree i just see a a lot of because i allow because i understand that it's going right. to personalize the ads i'm seeing i'm being shown i'm going to be shown ads either way like you said john i'd rather be shown something that's relevant i just know um, and this might just be some, some, some hot gossip on LinkedIn, but most people and regular people, not in marketing specifically are not, are right away saying, do not track. Um, so I think like far and away, like people are going to continue to, to limit that the ability to, to target more specifically, which makes like first party data, um, and these opt-in channels. So, so important. Let's go, let's, uh, let's unpack the, the process of and uh, build out of a of a loyalty program john you can you can uh walk us through this so 
Step one is the uh, capture of an email address or a phone number, right? Mm-hmm. Typically that's done through some sort of incentive, 15% off your first purchase, you know, um, buy one, get one for whatever it might be, some sort of offer. From there, that now becomes first party data that a brand owns and connect, can connect a user's you know, clicks, interests, whatever to, right? Mm-hmm. What, is, what is kind of the next layer of a loyalty programs build out beyond the initial capture of that first party data? Yeah, I mean, I think thinking about it from what data points that, you know, these brands are able to leverage kind of makes it easy to see how you might be able to use them. So, mm-hmm. like, for instance, with, you know, a few of our loyalty providers, we have data points like, you know, number of points available or number of points spent, mm-hmm. number of claims or, you know, date enrolled in the program, loyalty tier, birthday. These are all different inflection points where you, the brand, might be able to interject this data in a meaningful way and say, here's relevant data that is interesting to you. Here's, you know, you're creating urgency somehow, and then, you know, clear call to action, right? So you're more or less, I mean, loyalty is all about personalization, right? If you have 924 points, you know, there's probably not too many other folks that have exactly that number of points or, or exactly the, you know, the, the same, the same birthday. If you're the, the top tier status on American, there's, not millions of you, there's probably only like a couple of thousand of you. And so people like to feel like, like you, you, the brand know them, right? It's, it's like a, a kind of a, a relationship in a sense. And so whenever you're able to interject to them, these relevant data points in an interesting way, you're able to, to capture their interests, pique their interests, um, and hopefully get them to, you know, go down whichever desired path that you have for them. Yeah. Yeah. Let's pull it into a real life example. Like, do you have uh, a client in mind that's like done a really good job using OmniSense tech and partnership to to build out you know really awesome loyalty program that actually worked like super well. Yeah, that's a good question. I'm not 100 sure if I can if I can share this one in particular, but but um, th- there is one that I've that I've really enjoyed working with, and they not only give me the number of points that I have available. But they also give me, um, they also pepper that in with like items that, that that are similar to what I've purchased previously. So you can pepper in loyalty with with cross sell or with upsell as well, right? I think like we don't um, we don't intrinsically. I mean, there is certainly data that says what works and what doesn't work. But it's always nice to have kind of like a one two punch. So you can have you know you purchased this item recently and your um, and, and you know this is an item that's similar to that. Oh, and you also have this amount of points that, 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 are, that, are, that are able to be used. And so I think about ways you can kind of pepper in multiple angles there so that you're not relying just on the loyalty points as the main seller, but also on, on products that are similar to items you've purchased previously. And just to make sure I'm not misunderstanding that, those loyalty points can basically use to discount another purchase? Yeah, it, it, it just depends on, on which loyalty provider that you're using. Mm-hmm. Um, but you certainly that's certainly one of the methods that, that that's common for sure. Yeah. And most of the time, those points are tied to additional purchases, total purchases made, uh, could be referrals, things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's, there's plenty of opportunities that, that you, can, you can do to, to accrue new points, right? Obviously, purchases, um, any sort of like friend r- referral opportunity. Um, and the really nice thing is that, you know, whenever you're rolling these kind of programs out, they have a compounding value too. So you're not relying so heavily on new customers. That's obviously pretty an intrinsic 
Um, you know, these loyal customers are going to be bringing new customers to the site, right? And by you being an advocate and, and, and putting your neck out there for a brand, you probably have to formulate in words how you feel about a brand, which you maybe wouldn't have done unless they, they had this kind of a re referral program. So it's kind of interesting that, that hopefully that, that spurs additional like, you know, word of mouth as well. Yeah. What do you, what do you feel like the, the state of uh, discounting is as it pertains specifically to loyalty? Like I think if you're a brand, you don't want to rely solely on on discounts to bring people back, right? Because now you're dealing with a extremely price sensitive group of customers that you're not really maximizing margin on. What, how do those two things intermix right now? Yeah, I mean, I think that I think there's been kind of a, a little bit of an about face from you know five years ago or so when everyone was discounting always, or some brands were discounting always, right? And then you obviously have Amazon entering the space and and always being at a at a discount. So I think for a while, folks or brands were, you know, really quick to to auto discount and probably giving away house and home and a lot of their margin. Whereas now, I think brands are starting to come around to the idea that there's plenty of other ways you can incentivize folks with not without having to discount. Right? You can give them free shipping. You know, you can give them VIP loyalty access without giving them any sort of discount. But by saying, you know, I'm gonna let you in on on new products or let you in on a, you know a sale earlier by by being able to, to to be a part of that that VIP tier. So there's plenty of value add things you can do without having to you know discount 30% on on in every campaign or every automation. Right. Yeah, I saw a uh, an article the other day that I was reading was talking about how um, Saster actually had done an A/B test between their email headlines. One was, uh, there's a price spike coming on Monday, buy now. And the other was 25% off tickets. And it was actually the former that performed better, even though the price point was higher. So it was creating urgency wow. around the purchase prior to a spike versus an actual discount that had no real time attached to it. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like, it's almost like FOMO versus getting something for cheaper. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. Really interesting. And, and maybe they'd already determined that, you know, I was far enough down the funnel to where I had expressed interest in buying what they were selling, but like, like Tom's in way too deep. He'll buy this outright full. I know price. he's going to bite. I know a he's sucker. Bite. full MSRP. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a very unique uh, personalization category. This, this guy's a sucker. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, but there's there's brands that that don't discount as a as a rule as part of their like business model. Right. You think about like um, like Canada Goose and, and others, like they they do not discount, and folks still line up outside their store and they buy their products. So totally. you don't have to discount. It's certainly a lever, but don't cheapen your product in the in the process. Yeah, totally. Let's uh, you you want to jump over to personalization park. Yeah, how that plays out throughout the the uh, sort of post opt in. I'm I'm now first party data for a brand. Where does where does personalization take off there? Yeah, I think uh, for me, when I think of an effective loyalty program, especially via email and SMS, it's like personalization seems to be the backbone, and without it, it it won't really it won't end up working. I think. As a marketer, you could say, you know, 
using someone's birthday or, you know, just including their name at the beginning is personalization. But I, I'd argue that personalization goes much deeper than that. So I'd just like to, to hear like, what actually is personalization and, and what are the different things that you can actually personalize to make that experience more relevant to the recipient? Yeah, I think, you know, personalization is different for, for every brand. I think, um, you know, the more complexity you have, the more that your product is leaning towards like a health and beauty or apparel or something where taste level is, is really prevalent, the more the personalization is going to be, be something that you should really have locked down, right? So if you're a, a beauty brand where makeup and, and cosmetics is all that you're selling, you know, you're going to want to capture data before folks even you know, know about you, right? Like capturing zero party data before they're even opted into you, because you want to know what their skin type is, what, you know, products they've used previously, what they're looking to purchase prior to, you know, you showing them certain products. Um, if you have fair skin tone, if you have dark skin tone, like that's, those are totally different products, right? They're different images that you'd use and so on. And so um, it, it really, it really starts, you know, before folks opt in for certain brands. Um, but if you're, let's say a brand that, you know, uh, uh, you know, you're not in the beauty space, you're not in apparel where there, where taste level is not quite as much of a factor. Um, there's plenty of ways that you can personalize the customer journey um, w w without having to, to know too, too much about the products that they're looking for. And what I mean by that is more or less like a customer, uh, a, a customer life cycle matrix. So, you know, how, how often is this person spending? How, how much is this person spending? Uh, how many times have they purchased from me in the past 90 days? So begin to plot your customers in a way where you know, um, you know about their behaviors and you can actually target them based on where they are in your customer journey. So more or less, you know, building that, that funnel to personalize the messaging to resonate with where they are and get them to continue to move down further and further down the funnel. So there's kind of two, two sides of personalization. One is like super heavy on what that person is most likely to purchase. And then the other one is personalizing their actual experience with you shopping as a, as a customer. So you'd actually recommend that, so the, the flows around a frequency of purchase, um, maybe purchase volume, purchase thresholds, et cetera, that, that's one camp. And then on the other side, it sounds like you're, you're actually recommending that a brand decides before they start working with you or early on in your relationship like, hey, here are our core customer segments. Here's how we generally like to um, personalize our messaging by, you know, by cohort, by demographic, however it might be, and then basically implement that directly into the OmniSend experience. Am I understanding that right? Yeah. So, so I mean, there, there's there's plenty of these, you know, like shoppable quizzes, or if you will, right. where they're capturing like you know zero party data. Um, and that's more or less just, you know, asking those questions so that they can, um, they can, they can provide relevant products and relevant messaging to you sooner rather than later. Right. So like the, you know, the, the time to revenue is going to be much shorter for, for that kind of customer that, you know, you already know so much about versus having to get to know them based on their browse history, based on their card abandonment history, based on their purchase history over a period of time. And so the, 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 the shorter you can reduce the time to revenue by getting to know them better, quicker. Um, the more likely you are to, to be able to provide an experience that's relevant to them and, uh, you know, more likely you are to hopefully convert them sooner as well. Yeah. I'd be curious to see like what new creative ways brands are using 
things like quizzes to gather that data. I imagine right now, like a lot of teams are like trying to think outside the box, how they can convince someone to, to like share some data. I don't, I assume like OmniSend doesn't have that, that big of a hand in, in that aspect on the brand side, but I don't know if you heard of any, like any clients or brands doing some like outside the box, interesting things to, to gather that data, like similar to those quizzes. Yeah. I we, uh, we did a panel um, during my time at ShipBob at Southwest Southwest a couple of years ago. And this is really, really interesting. So it was a perfume brand and I don't know the name of it, which is a sin that I'm mentioning it without the name, but more or less they had, I think they had like six different perfumes, right? And so each of the perfumes, and, and as you can imagine, if you're gonna buy a cologne or perfume, the, you know, the historic way to do so is to go in person and you take a whiff and you say, do I like how this smells, right? Online, you know, we haven't figured out how to crack the code, right? You're not able to smell through the screen. And so they created each individual landing pages where they had, um, they had named them, they had different looks and feels, they had a different Spotify playlist that was on each page. And they were like willing to like send you samples that were packaged differently as well. So like each, each, Perfume had a different experience, had a different vibe, had a different sound to it. And so they're actually playing on, on your different senses that are not obviously smell um, in order to somehow unlock some of what you'd experience by going into a store. So that's obviously a pretty unique example with like fragrance. But I mean, all the products that folks are selling online have some level of, of sense that you need to kind of unlock and to get to experience the product. And I mean, I, I, I like to go into a store to try on a pair of shoes, right? But, um, but you know, a lot of shoe brands have, have done a great job of don't doing, you know, 3D rendering or giving folks the opportunity to see how things, um, how things um, you know, feel or the, the actual texture of the item. So I'd say that there's, there's plenty of opportunity for, for you to do things. But yeah, think outside the box about how you can tap into other senses or get to know your customers, um, you know, sooner rather than later. Because folks even though they're shopping online, they still want the experience that they were getting when they're going in store, right? Or at least I do. I, I'm excited that there's more and more coming out that's that's kind of tapping into that in-store experience. Yeah, but virtual smells could be pretty cool. Uh, yeah, I'm all for that. Just go, on, that. go on Arby's Yelp and just be sent to a different planet. <laughs> I don't think that'd be good for your productivity. No, not much yeah. is. It sounds a lot like Scentbird. Was it Scentbird? I wasn't Sinbird. I, I'm gonna. Yeah. It, it was a guy that um. I'm, I'm gonna. I'll have to find it. I'll, I'll. I'll be sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but it's very similar to like uh, even like Warby Parker's Home Try On. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Combined with their ridiculously good um, virtual try on app. I mean, like all the glasses companies have them now, and even like the hat companies can do it too. But yeah, crazy effective. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you're just chipping away the folks that were hesitant to not do so because they were nervous that their expectations were not matched with what the product is. And if you can, if you can reduce that delta, then you've got you know a, a more addressable market there. I mean, just think about that though. Like, I just got like crazy deja vu to the beginning of like my earliest memories of e-commerce, and it was always like my mom or, or someone else that I knew that would be in a position to buy something online saying like, I don't know, I don't understand how I could ever buy that on the internet, you know, like, and you could basically apply that to any, to anyone. And like yeah. this, people used to say the same thing about Airbnb. I never stay in someone else's home. I would never get in someone's car that I didn't know. 
the yeah. one I'm still hearing is, is like Instacart. I'm still hearing people say, I need to feel the produce. I don't know if they're going to pick me the best onion, <laughs> which I, you know, as a, as an amateur chef myself, I, I can agree with that a little bit, but um, <laughs> I, the whole dish might yeah. depend on it. Nice work. I, I need you to give me some, some lessons. I'm, I'm awful at cooking for one. I'll cook for two, but cooking for one, is just not, not my favorite. I can only cook for eight. So I have a lot of leftovers all the time. For eight. Nice. You have, you have a family of eight. I didn't realize that part. <laughs> no, I live alone. <laughs> it's a, it's a meal prep thing. He's, he's after the gains these days. Nice. Oh yeah. Um, but Check no, like rice. what you just mentioned, I just thought of something. So like with being able to like feel produce, like I thought of like Im imperfect produce, like mm -hmm. even something like that, where folks are more sustainable thinking than they maybe used to be. And like things that were true of everyone five years ago, or maybe not always true of them like today, like what, what, what was important to them when shopping five years ago is not necessarily what's important to them in shopping, shopping today. So it's kind of wild how that all comes about phase. Totally. I got a more, uh, maybe a more specific question. Um, if I'm working with uh, OmniSend, any other provider that, that does similar things, uh, what is the right way to balance like S automated SMS and, and automated email flows? Like, can you control those from the same flow? I mean, I'm assuming it makes it easier to work with um, two providers that are, or, or sorry, um, one provider that provides both services. Mm -hmm. But how do those two things work hand in hand, like most effectively? Yeah, that's a really good question. So one of the, the, the beauties of, of OmniSend and what our clients really enjoy is that, you know, they're able to leverage both or all three of those opt-in channels in one place. So if they're building out a campaign newsletter, if they're building, building out a card abandonment um, series, they can slot in email, slot in SMS, push notifications all into like one flow. Essentially. Okay, got it. So, I mean, the, 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 the nice thing is that, you know, it's all they're in one place, right? Single source of truth for, for tracking and for reporting and such. Um, and for, the, you know, those folks that are listening that are not 100% sold on SMS, I'd say, you know, last year was definitely kind of like a, a trial period, but SMS seems to only be, be growing. And it, it's, it's certainly really impressive in terms of the growth we're seeing. We saw from 2019 to 2020 that 300% more SMS were sent by, by our customers. And this year, um, I think it's looking to be about 200% more than, than, than 2020. So it's a, it's definitely a newer channel. I'd say that, you know, there's plenty of, of resources to, to get familiar with how you can get started there. Um, and Omnisend is a, a global SMS partner as well. So there's, there's plenty of opportunity to, to, to test there, but yeah. Uh, and the nice thing is that with SMS and email together, that's when we're seeing even higher conversion rates, right. Than, than just email alone. So Building those multi-channel campaigns and multi-channel automations is is definitely a winning combination. Glad I asked that question. Yeah, good question. Yeah, SMS is like really hot right now, and I've as a consumer have been enjoying it. Mm -hmm. I think it's very very helpful. Um, from specifically Walgreens, they hit me up every day. I think. <laughs> yeah, no, I I agree. It's like for a while there was this like impenetrable like this is a, this is my safe space. This is my my, my text messaging with just my family and friends. And, but it's also like where you, you are already. Right. So it's almost like, of course, this made, this made sense. And, and you're not going to let every brand, you know, uh, send you messages, right. That's, it is kind of a more intimate space. And for something like Walgreens, like I got a text from Walgreens yesterday and it's just, it's need to know it's, it's right there on your phone. You can look at it and forget about it. Or if it's a brand, you can look at it. 
oh, I abandoned something in my cart. You can click, you already have all your cards preloaded and you can purchase, right? I, I enjoy shopping on my phone more than I enjoy shopping on my desktop because my phone knows me better than my desktop does. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's why SMS is kind of a beautiful thing because nine times out of 10, I have Apple Pay or something already there and that makes it much easier for me to buy it and get back to my day than have to look for my credit card X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Um, so I think we're coming up on time or at least close to, uh, we don't want to go too long. People, uh, they get sick of, of Tom and I's voice. I think after a while, except his mom, she has very nice thoughts about this podcast, which is, yeah, which is she's nice. the number one fan. Yeah. There you go. That's good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So before we wrap though, I want to formulate some sort of key takeaway for a marketer, a marketing team. Let's say for example, you have a, a loyalty program, very bare bones. It's not really doing much for you. We arrive at, at OmniSend and we're, we want to scale this thing up and we want to kick off like a really great loyalty program. What are the, what are the first steps you're going to take or first couple steps to like really building a strong foundation for that so that you can just attack your, your loyalty strategy, you know, right out of the gate. What, what should these brands have in place? Yeah, so I'd say think about loyalty as as one component of, of like your overall retention strategy. Um, be sure that you're um, that you're gathering like the right data from customers, um, and, and ultimately just think about those key touch points where you're able to provide um, you're able, able to provide value to your customers. Right? It's it's all more or less how you're able to meet your customers where they are and provide value to them that would get them to to convert. So it doesn't always have to be you know a discount code. It doesn't always have to be um, something in that regard, um, but look for ways that you can you can continue to to leverage those data points and get folks to come back to you time and time again. And also think outside of just um, uh, think about think just outside of, of of loyalty as it pertains to maybe the provider that you're using, um, but also start to think about those those customer um, matrix points where you can get folks um, based on you know how recently they purchased from you or how uh, how high their AOV is. Right, start to think about different ways you can target your your base um, and connect with them and, and meet them where they are. Yeah. I feel like it really all boils down to relevancy and, and actually making the messaging, the cadence, like arrive at relevant times and feature relevant content slash messaging. I think there is that level of personalization, those, those two different categories, right? Where it's more like your birthday, your name, your, where you live, um, which you can clearly see as a consumer is personalization, but then there's also the personalization based on more behavior stuff that actually attacks the psyche, the, the, uh, the psychology of, of the way people's brains actually work. I think, you know, probably using those two in, in unison is, is probably a pretty good, pretty good strategy if you do it effectively and like in yeah. a relevant manner. I agree. I agree. Right. Tom, you got anything else? What's the dog's name? Uh, this is Tucker middle name Moose. Tucker Moose. A Tucker Moose. He's been um, he's been cooped up all day because I've been on call since eight thirty. So he's very excited to, to go out for a minute. <laughs> all right, and then favorite <laughs> favorite place to go bar restaurant Chicago. Wow, that is a tough question. <laughs> um, I would have to say this is on the record, by the way. Oh, I know. That's why it's even harder. Um, I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you my my top two so there's a mexican spot called medicadito it's called mercadito but i can't i can't say it that way 
And then um, my other favorite spot is probably Acheval. It's a burger spot in the West Loop. It's just a really good burger and fry that 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 really does the soul good. <laughs> we got one here now. You do? Yeah, there's one in New York now. I haven't I been. This is news to me. You're taking away a little bit, a little bit of how special this to me. That's okay. I'm I'm, I'm sure it takes. <laughs> Yeah, we'll, we'll see if I ever make it there. I don't really get into the trendy spots. I don't make uh, reservations seven months in advance, unfortunately. So That's it's understandable. I'm, usually street food, street meat. I'm at a, the Euro stand. Nice. <laughs> All right. Well, it's been a pleasure having you. It's always yeah, uh, it's always great talking to you. And it was really great getting a lot of your your takes on on loyalty and, and email and SMS specifically because it's a hot topic. And I think a lot of people can get overwhelmed. So it's it's good to have smart guys like you clear the air. So yeah, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Parker, Tom. Have a good one. Thanks, guys.